And today as we open up um, the book of Colossians chapter 4, um, I've titled today's message, Final Admo Admonishments and Encouragement. Paul was an encourager. He had what is, is commonly called the gift of exhortation. Um, and I, I feel like God has gifted me with that gift. Paul has long been my biggest Bible hero. Um, I think because not only um, did God change him so much, which I can relate to, and really any of us who are blood-bought saints of the Lord can, but also Paul struggled physically. And even when God's answer to those physical struggles was, no, I'm not going to take them away in this life, he still said, yes, God, I will serve you. And not only that, but he said, I will glory in my infirmities. You know, we like to think that, that we can glory if God takes away the trial that we're in. But the reality for Paul was, I'm going to glory within the trial that you've given me because then uh, your power will rest upon me stronger. And I wish with every fiber of my being, that our world, and particularly America, understood this better. We are in a place, a time of unprecedented darkness in America, a time when we have governors of states saying that it should be okay to kill babies after they're born. The gloves are off for the people in the pro-abortion movement. So we need to take the gloves off too and fire back and say, all life is precious. All life is given by God. And I've said for a long time that if the church could get that right, if the church would realize how valuable life is, we would do a lot better in showing the world how valuable life is. I thank God for Peyton and Rachel. And for their willingness to take in these foster kids and for their excitement over welcoming a new baby. It's ironic to me with the number of people struggling with infertility that abortion is even a thing. Because I wish that these people that feel like they're, they're, have, they have no choice but to abort would realize how many people would take their babies. Even people with full houses would rather take their babies than see them um, pass away. I know this to be true. And um, as we start this message today, I want to um, give you encouragement to realize that living the Christian life is not easy, it's not something that's popular. But it's something that will reap eternal rewards. I am here today because of parents who served the Lord faithfully. They raised 12 children. 11 of us to adulthood. One baby died in infancy. But they raised us to love and serve the Lord. And that is why I'm here today. And as we look at these first few verses of Colossians chapter 4, let us be reminded that Christ 
is to guide your inner thoughts and your outer actions. And to remember that actions and thoughts are very interconnected. So let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, shall we? Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you may answer every man. Let's consider for a second here that Paul is writing to people in authority. Often we think of masters as slaveholders, and he very well may be talking about that. But in a greater sense, he's talking about anyone with authority over others. He could be speaking to me as someone in authority over students at the Bonders house. <clears throat> but he's talking about how we need to treat people fairly. And he's reminding those in authority, you have an authority in heaven. You see, I think a lot of times when we talk about the, the family structure, and we talk about how God says that a man is to be the head of his home, over his wife, we think, well, that, that, that's an authoritarian view. That is so bad because that puts the woman in a subservient place and she doesn't have any ground to stand on on her own and the man can just do whatever he wants. But that's not what the Bible says because the Bible says that the head of every man is Christ. Therefore, if a man has authority in his home, it's only given to him by Christ and if he abdicates that authority and uses it wrongly, Christ will deal with him, especially if he's a believer. We need to get this right because the culture outside is looking at us and when we try to do our best to follow the culture, we're not giving them anything to change. We're not giving them any hope. Look at this second verse. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Do you ever think about how important thanksgiving is? God says to us in another Pauline epistle, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It doesn't say we get to pick and choose the things to be thankful for. There was a time in my life when I was 13 years old. My brother had just passed away, and I, I didn't want to live. I wanted my life to end. I said, God, there's no point in me being here. You took my brother, who is perfectly healthy, and you left me here, and I'm completely useless. Why am I here? And for a year, that was the mantra that I gave to God. And what he said to me was, my strength 
is made perfect in your weakness. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He said to me, who made your mouth? He said to me, go and tell others about me and I will tell you what to say. And I finally, kicking and screaming, was brought to a place where I could say with my whole heart, when you give me an opportunity to share the gospel, I will do so. Let us remember that when God talks about the people who left natural affection in Romans chapter 1, who are living morally unrighteous lives, what was the first step they took away from godliness? It was that they refused to be thankful. So Paul is saying, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So we need prayer. Prayer is the power. If this microphone was not hooked up to a sound system that's plugged into the wall, guess what? You wouldn't hear anything out of it. Now, you still might hear me because I'm yelling pretty loud, but you wouldn't hear it as loud as you will when you hear me speak through the mic. Why is the mic working? Because there's power there. The Bible says that the effective, the, the, the prayer of a righteous man, the effectual prayer of a righteous man, availeth much. It says that Elijah was a man of like passion such as we are, and he prayed and it did not rain on the land of Israel for three years. Now, he didn't just arbitrarily decide, I don't want it to rain. He did this at the behest of God himself. But the point is, God used him to accomplish his goal. And then we say, see in verse 3, with all praying for us that God would open us of us unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in also in bonds. Do you realize he's writing this from prison? And he's still saying, open up a, ask God to open up a door of utterance to us that I may preach the mystery of Christ. And as Pastor Todd told us this morning, it wasn't the Ritz-Carlton or even the Ritz-Carlton of jail cells like you might see if you come to the Kent County Jail today. And the reason I say that is because when I first started in jail ministry, they were six-man cells. Imagine sharing your, your, uh, your room with six people who were all um, like you facing conviction for crimes. And now there's two-person cells, and they look a whole lot nicer than they used to. So all this to say that when Paul is writing from prison, he is really sacrificing for the faith. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Remember Paul said he wanted the power of Christ to rest upon him. He wanted the gospel message to be seen through his life. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always 
with grace. Season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I think we can all learn from this. Walking in wisdom toward them that are without. It can be so easy when we're dealing with people to just spout the truth, true as it may be, in a way that does not reach them. In a way that does not show compassion. You see, something might be true, but we still need to season it with salt. It still needs to come forth with grace. It still needs to tell the other person, I care about you and your eternal destiny. Does that mean they will, they will automatically like you because you're telling the truth? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, they dragged Paul at one point out of town and they stoned him. And they thought he was dead. And there's passages that, that slightly indicate, I believe, that he did die and God sent him back. And he said, the things that I saw, I can't tell you about. They were too wonderful. So there is a cost. And no matter how loving you are, sometimes the truth, although it sets free, it also offends. Jesus said many things, but he also said, I am not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why? Because he divides brothers and sisters because he'd rather see you divided from your family than headed to hell. That's the reality. But he also puts the solitary in families. That's why he made the church. That's why I can call each and every one of you who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ a brother and a sister. And why I count you as my family. So we need to think about these things. We need to have a good rapport with others. Not in a way that, that sacrifices the truth, but in a way that they know. Whatever else they think about us, that we care for them and their welfare. So, and I just wanted to bring up an example of one person who did this routinely. Some of you may not know him. I had the privilege of meeting him on several occasions. His name was Charlie Vandermeer. For nearly 70 years, he served the children of West Michigan and throughout the world through the ministry of Children's Bible Hour and CBH. He has been called the Billy Graham of children. He loved kids. I had the privilege of appearing on his show when I was 15 years old. It's how Eric Costin and I reunited. But as I was sitting at his memorial service yesterday, I realized there needs to be people who will pick up and carry on what his burden was. Because we can't keep losing these faithful men like Billy Graham and like Charlie Vandermeer without replacing them. That's why the Bible says to commit these things that you know unto faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So it's not just about telling people that Jesus loves you. It's about teaching them to tell others who will tell others who will tell others.
Someday my life on this globe is going to be over. And I hope that someone will be there to pick up the mantle. The only thing I know is that sitting in that memorial service yesterday made me want to work even harder for the kingdom of God. Because I don't know how much time we all have. But the gospel is a matter of life and death. And so, I pray and I hope that until I draw my final breath, the name of Jesus will always be on my lips. Um, if we could look very quickly at 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. If somebody could read that when they get to it, I would appreciate it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing in everything you think, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. There it is again. How important prayer is. I know I don't pray as much as I should. But that's where the power is. That's where God directs us. That's how we know what the next thing He wants us to do is. Christians are urged to provoke one another unto love and good works. The word provoke means to arouse, incite, or hearten. It is not a most worthy ambition and privilege is it not a most worthy ambition and privilege to awaken and inspire others to live righteously and godly in this present world few are aware of how much failure is due to simply the lack of incentive or courage or the loss of spirit when the heart goes out of a person there is no longer any vision to quicken to cheer to lead so it is christian to hearten and provoke others unto love and good works. Singing to the merry ring of his towel, a bricklayer aroused Carlyle from the stupor of despondency and provoked him to write the second volume of his French Revolution, which had been destroyed in the manuscript. A line quoted from the New Testament and a pat on the head changed the stupid shy lad Walter Scott and kindled in his heart a quenchless flame. A kiss from his mother at the, at the psychological moment made Benjamin West a painter. <clears throat> Thus, a seasonable word, a mother's prayer, a friendly grasp of the hand, the memory of a face often turn out to be provoking, destiny-making acts. If I can encourage you, the mothers in my audience, you have a mission field in your home. When you take the time to share Christ with those in your home, you are shaping the future. Please don't lose that. I think so many times people lose that because they say, well, I need to be out and pursuing this career because the world, if I say I just want to be a mom, the world frowns on that. It's not enough. You're not you're not using your skills. But my mom works in so many different areas that if you wrote it all down, 
in a resume format, nobody would be able to pay her what she's worth. It's the truth. Okay. So our, our uh, next point, our next section, is be encouraged by the testimony of others. One thing that Paul was extremely good at is commending other people. And especially commending other people to other people in a public setting. Nothing makes me more motivated to do my job when I go into the potter's house than when my boss, Mr. John Boy, is walking down the hall giving a tour and he comes to the room where I'm teaching or he comes into my office and he tells other people what it is I do there and how grateful they are for me. There's nothing more motivating than that. And so if you want to motivate someone, if you want to provoke them to love and good works, then commend them in front of others for the love and good works that they show. Let's look at verses 7 to 13. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he may know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all these things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow, work, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus' sister's son, to Barnabas, touching whom you have received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Her Herapolis. <clears throat> um. So, you see this list of people, which, by the way, Peyton and Rachel, there's some great baby names in here <laughs> that, aren't, that aren't common but are strong names, godly names, so just, just throwing that out there. Um, but you see what Paul's doing here. He is telling these people, these are my fellow laborers, these people are strong in God. Now, it would be easy for Paul, or it would be easy for people to think that Paul is the godly one. So Paul's the one that we should follow. As a matter of fact, there was a time when people did say that. Some said, I'm of Paul, I'm of, I'm of Apollos. And Paul said to that, I'm glad I didn't baptize any but a few of you because it's not about me, it's not about Apollos, it's about Christ. And so Paul is saying to, saying to you, saying to these people, if you come in contact with these people, encourage them, be blessed by them, because they love you, they're praying for you, and they want you to persevere in the kingdom of God. Now what could be more powerful than hearing someone is fervent in prayers for you? What could be more powerful than saying someone has poured out their heart on your behalf? 
There's nothing more powerful. So I just want to encourage you. This is where we're at. And just to, just to put a fine point on it, this should be one of the most encouraging places that you ever find. There's often disharmony that crabs up in churches. But guess what? If we all love and have faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? We're going to end up spending eternity together, so we better start getting along now. Okay, if we could look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, actually, sorry, that's the wrong, Ephesians six twenty one to 23, sorry about that. If somebody has that, they can read it for us. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So there's another mention of Tychicus. So he must have been very special to Paul to get a mention in multiple epistles. But again, his sole purpose in coming is to encourage the hearts of the believers to let them know the state of Paul, to stay in communion with them, we need each other. We need to constantly be exercised to know the state of those around us. I can testify by experience that when God prompts me to contact someone, it's a good idea to do so. You never know how long you have with someone. You never know if the last time you see them will be the last time on earth. Or the, the last time you saw them will be the last time on earth. So it's very important for us to constantly be of a mind to be praying for others. And I think it's interesting that Paul would often say, I may not be present with you, but my heart is with you. I think of you always in my prayers. He often opened his epistles that way. How big his heart must have been to have so many that he was thinking of. All right, our third section, 
a final exhortation to faithfulness. Uh, Colossians 4, verses 14 to 18. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in the house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to thy ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it, this salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. So, we see simply more greetings. Luke, the beloved physician, I love that title. I love that the relationship between Luke and Paul was so close that he called him beloved. Um, it's, it's interesting that Paul, although to our knowledge he never married, he still surrounded himself with good people. And he still needed people. And he knew that. There's another... Um, Epistle, I think it's Second Timothy, where Paul exhorts Timothy in the final verses, Come to me quickly, for everyone else has deserted me. He was basically saying to Timothy, I need you. Please come as quickly as you can. And then, I did some research and didn't really find anything on this epistle to, to Laodicea. I'm pretty sure that if we were supposed to read it, it would be here in our Bibles today. But the point was, he wanted this letter read. And he said, make sure that the people of Laodicea read it. When you read that, that the epistle that you are studying needs to be read, it kind of is an exclamation point on the things taught in it. You see... We can have a Bible on our shelves. We can point out that we have a Bible on our shelves when people come over. Say, how great is that that I have a Bible on my shelf? But unless you read it, it's not going to change you. And unless you read it and apply it, it's not going to change the world. Remember in our first point we talked about prayer. And then we talked about how prayer drives action. I just want to reiterate this real quick. Because it talks about how um, you need to treat your people under you fairly because you have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch... And then it says, walk in wisdom and toward those who are without. So by praying, you are walking in, you are able to walk in wisdom toward those around you. So that was our first point. Was let Christ guide your inner thoughts and outer actions. 
Jesus said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our second point was be encouraged by the testimony of others. Paul shared his testimony plenty of times, but he also shared the testimony of others. He also said this is what God has done in others. Notice one of the people that's mentioned here. With Onesimus, a faithful brother. If you read the book of Philemon, you find out that Onesimus was a slave who ran away from his master Philemon, and Paul said, Onesimus, who ran away from you and was was you know pretty useless is now useful to me but I'm sending him back to you and I'm telling you that whatever he took I will pay restitution for see God is in the life changing business he changed Paul's life he changed Onesimus' life he changed Tychicus' life and he can change your life he changed my life. I was a pretty bitter guy. I was mad because I was like, well, why would God make me this disabled guy, this guy in this broken body, if he really wanted me to serve him? And he showed me that he has an answer to every question I have before I even ask it. And that's what I want to encourage you today. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Just talking about Paul's exhortation to faithfulness. These are his thoughts to Timothy right before he will meet his end. But if someone could read that for us. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. This is so important. Paul is telling Timothy, you're going into a hornet's nest. There's going to be horrendous problems for you because people aren't going to endure sound doctrine. There are so many churches today debating things that God already put in stone. There are churches today that, that, that say whatever lifestyle you choose, whoever you love, quote-unquote, it's okay. You can still come, a, come and be a part of us. But what did God say? God said, come out from among them and be separate. He doesn't call us to live the life we are living in and just accept us for that. He does accept us as sinners. There's no doubt about that because none of us can clean ourselves up. But he accepts us as we are. And then he says, I'm going to change you from the inside out 
and I'm going to have a whole new set of expectations for you because by the Spirit of God, you don't have to live that life anymore. Amen. You were saying? And so, my question to you is, are you living a life that is showing God's love to others and showing God's truth to others. Paul said, you are our epistles known and read of all men. People that will never pick up a Bible or may never pick up a Bible, they will see you in your conduct day by day. And they will know if there's a difference. People have said to me on a, a few occasions, how do you keep your positive attitude through all that you go through? And the only answer I have is Jesus, but it gives me an opportunity to share that answer. Peter said, be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. So that's the job that we have. And it doesn't just involve getting up in a pulpit on Sunday morning. It involves wherever you are. I'll close with this. George Eliot said, I will try this day to live a simple, sincere, and serene life, repelling promptly every thought of discontent, anxiety, discouragement, impurity, self-seeking, cultivating cheerfulness, magnanimity, Charity and the habit of holy silence, exercising economy and expenditure, generosity and giving, carefulness and conversation, diligence in appointed servants, fidel service, fidelity in every trust, and a childlike faith in God. In particular, I will try to be faithful to these habits of prayer, work, physical exercise, eating and sleep, which I believe the Holy Spirit has shown me to be right. That all my powers, with all their might, to God's soul glory may unite. Can there be any greater thing to aspire to than that? I just want to read to you, and I want to read it because I want to get it exactly right. My life verse. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20 and 21, this is how Paul basically states the same thing that George Eliot just did in that quote. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, Paul was telling the Philippians and also the people that he was imprisoned next to, he was telling them that if you keep me alive, I'll keep preaching Christ. But if I die, I'll see Christ. So either way, I win. I want you to know that He also said in Philippians 4, 21 and 22, this is really cool. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me, 
greet you also. All the saints salute you, chiefly those that are of Caesar's household. He was in prison waiting to see Caesar, and he's sharing the gospel with Caesar's household, and Caesar's household is coming to Christ. That's the power of the God with whom we have to do. And that is what Paul is saying when he's saying, live a life of prayer and thanksgiving. Allow it to guide your actions and then encourage others. And that is my prayer to you, a prayer for you, that you would do that in such a way that people would say, True Life Bible Church is a place that I want to be. Not because true life is so great in and of themselves, but because Jesus is here. That's what you want to be known for, that Jesus is present with you. And I just, I feel that when I come, I'm just encouraging you to keep on keeping on. And uh, I just thank you for this opportunity. And I'm praying that God's peace will go with you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Colossians that we've just finished. Lord, I pray that the things that we have learned and the principles that we have garnered, that they would change our lives. That they would be better people when we leave this building than we were when we came in. I pray this in Jesus' name.